0: Well, we've been in a series called The God Who Speaks. And last week, Larissa Marks shared on how God speaks to us individually. Let's give her a hand for that. That was awesome. She is such a great teacher. And today, I'm gonna share on the God who speaks to us corporately, so us as a group. And although God speaks to us individually, He also speaks to us corporately, and He cares for us individually, but He cares for us as a body as well. And so much of the Bible is addressed to us individually, but God also speaks to us and cares for us as a church, as a group. And here's some context. The Bible was written so long ago that it's hard for us to wrap our minds around how different things were back then. In that culture, people thought of themselves as members of a collective group not so much as individuals. Does that make sense? It's so long ago. And to bring this point closer to home, nowadays in America, in our culture, we have gone crazy with individualism, haven't we? Think about the selfie phenomenon or Instagram. Dr. Ryan is always on Instagram, always posting selfies. And it's crazy. I just got an app on my phone, the other night that makes you look younger or older called Face App. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Okay. I spent over two hours that night looking at myself. I couldn't get over it. And this is a picture of me at 60. It's, it's hard to see, but I'm angry. I don't know why I'm angry in that. Isn't that interesting? Goodness gracious. And this is me at 125. (laughs) I'm not as angry. I softened up. And here's another one. This is Antonio at 32, probably. This is Antonio at 60. And this is Antonio as a woman. I'm attracted, I'm, I feel weird, but I'm attracted to you as a woman, so much joy. So we have two opposite ends of the spectrum. On one side we have America, that's basically obsessed with the individual, and on the other side we have ancient Israel with the preference for the group. But Hawaii is unique in this regard. We still serve as a link between the past and the present and also like the East and the West, right? Because we're located right in the middle of Asia and the West. So here's an example of how Asian culture is still alive in Hawaii. And this is something that I grew up with. Here's here's the example. Number one, you never show up anywhere empty-handed. Have you guys heard that? This might even be true in the South like, or in other parts of the world, but it's still true in Hawaii and parts of the East. Okay, so here's the thing. You can't go to someone's house. You have to bring something. You cannot stop by. My mom would always tell me, you cannot go. Go pick something up and then go. Or here's this, take this when you go. You couldn't show up empty handed. If you go to a potluck, everyone contributes and you have to bring a lot. You have to bring a lot of food. You have to spend so much money in Hawaii on bringing food just to go see people. It's crazy. And to take it one step further, you can't even eat what you brought. Let's say you bring 12 manapuas. You can't tell, it's a little dark, but those are manapuas. You have to leave the last manapua because it's about others. It's illegal for you to eat the last manapua. You cannot eat it. You can watch it. You can smell it. You can't actually smell it, but you can smell it. You cannot eat it. In fact, it will sit there all by itself, a lonely manapua, because it must be left for others. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, here's the rule. You can sneak it, but you have to wait four to five hours towards the end of the party. Then you have to hide it in a napkin. And then you have to go to the bathroom, and then you could eat it, like a little rat, eating your manapua. But just like Hawaii, ancient Israel was was group-centric, it was about others. The society put the group or the family first. So today, we're going to try to look at ourselves as part of a group, the us, and we'll be looking at three ways God speaks to us. The group, and what is his purpose in doing so? But before we get into that, we have a uh, custom here to open up with a warm up question. So, this is a fun one get to know your neighbor. In the spirit of the group, here's the question What is your favorite mu- music group? What is your favorite music group? So, for the uh, baby boomers, it might be the Beatles, right? The Gen Xers, it might be Pearl Jam or something depressing. For millennials like Joe, it might be in sync, One Direction. Is Joe still here? Oh no, there he is, he's still there. Um, and for Zennials, any of the other masterpieces on the radio today if you're a Zennial. So turn to your neighbor, take a couple minutes and discuss, and then we'll regather in a second. Jam, Bruce Springsteen, Run DMC. Where are you at, guys? Rolling Stones. Richard, where are you at? Four non-blondes. Interesting. <laughs> How come no one has any Christian groups? No, no? I'm not into it. Anyone want to shout out their favorite group? Journey. What else? What? Anyone else? Ryan? What, need to breathe? Oh, okay. Brian? Yes, sir. Oh my gosh, he's the real deal. I don't know what that is. Juan, what do you got? Sublime. Let's give it up for Sublime. You can tell a lot about someone through their music. God's really turned you around. Okay. So I love sports, and in recent years, there's been so much talk about the goat. You guys know about this goat conversation? Who's the greatest of all time? Every time you turn on the TV, goat this, goat that, goat this, goat that. They say the greatest of all time in basketball is who? Michael Jordan. The greatest of all time, boxer? Who is it? Muhammad Ali. Who said Floyd Mayweather? Come on. But, here's another question. What's the greatest team of all time? Right? Because it's not just about who's the best person, who's the best team of all time? And I did some research, and you want to know what I found? The greatest team of all time—the 2007 UH Warriors—came up as the greatest team of all time. Some of you who just moved here are like, "No, it's not. No, it's not. you don't know. You don't know. You weren't there. I was there." The 2007 UH Warriors led by quarterback Colt Brennan. When undefeated straight into the 2008 Sugar Bowl, they brought hope back to our state, which was suffering from a spam shortage at that time. We were low. We needed something quick. And God brought the Warriors. Sadly, it all ended in utter defeat in a 41-10 loss on national TV. But that's not the point. Sean and Megan Mitsuda still believe and consider this the greatest team of all time. Give them a hand for the Warriors. But the real reason why they were the greatest team of all time and they had a perfect record, the real reason was not because of Kobe Brennan, but it was because of June Jones, the coach. The year before they hired him, 2006 they went 0 and 12 that means they lost every single game and then the very next year when they hired him they won every single game except for the last game but they won every 12 and 0 0 and 12 to 12 and 0 so the point was the coach was the one who brought about the victory right and the coach was the one who spoke to them and they listened and they practiced hard and they became the greatest team of all time The title of this message is The God Who Speaks to Us, and today's sermon is going to be super simple and straightforward. At least I'm going to try and keep it as simple as I can, and we're going to look at three ways God speaks to us, His people, His team, His church, because it's not just about you or I moving forward. It's about the whole church or family moving forward, and I was thinking about this today. I thought, you know what? What would it be Christianity or life be like if there were no such thing as the church. You got saved through the internet, right? Through YouTube, you're at home, you're studying by yourself, and there's no such thing as a Sunday meeting. There's no such thing as an Ohana group. There's no family of believers. Think about that. Everything gets super boring. God's given us each other because it's better that way, right? So um, the goal of this message is to get a clearer understanding of how God has spoken to us throughout history, us, and how He speaks to us today. And also, this isn't an exhaustive list. This isn't the only way God speaks to us, but these are three ways that God speaks to us. And uh, it's a starting point for this topic. So we're going to dive right in. Um, our scripture passage for today is Acts 13:1 through 3. And here's a little context for the story in Acts 13. At the start of the church, the church had just began. Maybe it's 10 years old. I don't know how old it is. It's around that time. The disciples were beginning to spread throughout the region. And there were two main outposts. There was Jerusalem, which was the start of the church, right? Peter and all the boys are there. And there's an outpost called Antioch, not far away to the north. And this is where Paul and Barnabas were. The church had not yet launched a full missionary campaign out of these two places to reach the rest of the world. So this is how early it is, okay? And it was here at Antioch that Jesus' disciples were first called Christians. And it was here that the Apostle Paul was formally sent out to the rest of the world as a missionary. So the church appointed them as missionaries, he and his friend Barnabas. So, this is the process, the story of God speaking to them to lay aside Paul and Barnabas to be missionaries. Okay? And you can read along on the screen or in your notes. So, this thing here goes like this. And we can start in verse one. It says this Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manian, and Saul. In verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit set aside, sorry, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So just to recap, the leaders of the church or the church were having a prayer meeting and they were even fasting and God spoke to them while they were fasting and praying, and God said, set apart Barnabas and Saul to be missionaries, okay? So the first way God speaks to us, the group, is through prayer. God speaks to us the old-fashioned way, even now, through prayer. The church hears God when they gather together to pray. And I love prayer meetings. I have to confess, probably like a lot of you, I don't attend many of them, (laughs) right? When was the last time we went to a prayer meeting? We had one yesterday, actually. The church did, but I don't go to them often enough. But I love prayer meetings. And in our Ohana groups, we do have times of prayer every week. But the old-fashioned prayer meeting, if you know what I'm talking about. When I was in high school, a bunch of us, right when we got saved, I was like 16 or 17 years old, when I got saved, we would just meet in our church office, and we would worship and pray for hours, for hours. Now, none of us had jobs. I, I actually worked at Subway, but that's not considered a full-time job. But I would still go to this office, and I would worship, and we would pray for hours, and the time just flew by. And that was a different time in my life, but I loved it. And God would always speak to us when we, when we gathered. It was amazing. We were on fire Okay, and that was like four years ago, so. Right now, actually, this is a picture of our Ohana group. You can't see it, because it's dark, but our Ohana group, we're trying to get back to the spirit of prayer, okay? And so, we're reading a book right now called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. Have you guys heard of this book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire? It's from the 90s, and it's the story of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, one of the largest churches in New York City, and it started out as like maybe 20 members. It was a small little dying church that met in a decrepit building. And this is their pastor. His name is Jim Simbala. Um, he used to come here and speak at the hymn conferences, if you guys remember that. Um, right from the start, Pastor Jim felt it was God's will for them to concentrate all their efforts on a Tuesday night prayer meeting. So they would meet every night, every Tuesday night, and the church would pray and they would worship. And this is a picture of their prayer meeting right here. So they're laying hands on each other, and they're stu- still doing that to this day. They would meet together as a church for prayer, weekly prayer, and began to see God move in huge ways. And Brooklyn at the time was pretty bad. Think Jay-Z pre-Beyonce. You know that, Jay-Z? You guys know? Or Goodfellas? Eddie Sachs knows what I'm talking about because he's from New York City. Well, much like Blue Water, they concentrated their prayers and efforts on people forgotten by society because Brooklyn was so bad. The outsiders and thousands came to Jesus in their church as they began to pray every Tuesday. Thousands came to Jesus. Drug addicts started coming to their church. The homeless found jobs through the church. Jesus and their started transforming their lives and their city began to transform. And here is their church now. It's a huge church with a huge impact. Most of those Christians in the Brooklyn Tabernacle at those days in the 90s were first generation Christians, meaning they weren't born and raised in the church. They got saved, the first people in their family And today, partly because of that church helping to clean up the neighborhood, Brooklyn is a hipster paradise. God loves hipsters. And this is an actual hipster in the wild living in Brooklyn. They captured him. Here is another one. There he is in Brooklyn. And here's my favorite one. This hipster, uh, I, I believe that's That's a handcrafted bacon minestrone soup. That's what I read. It's a handcrafted bacon minestrone soup. But God changed their city. So prayer meetings are the start of big things. And here's another thing. We're going to go through a couple examples of how prayer meetings change things, okay? The second example is this. We're going way back. The Great Welsh Revival of 1904, which I was not aware of the details, but I had heard of it, Um, it got worldwide media attention at that time and began with a simple prayer meeting, okay? Has anyone heard of the Welsh Revival? Some guys here are into it. Um, It was spearheaded by a young preacher named Evan Roberts. Evan Roberts was 26 years old when revival broke out. And he wasn't a brilliant speaker or preacher, but his audiences were captivated. Ooh, the lights went down. Oh, we can, we can leave them on, leave them on, leave them on. Let's, let's keep the lights on, at least right there. I'm so scared of the dark, guys. Leave them on, yeah, it's good. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I just had this fear of the dark growing up, you know what I'm saying? But, um, Many wondered, what is this guy's secret, right? The effectiveness in drawing all these tens of thousands of people to these meetings. But biographers and firsthand account witnesses said that it was the product of simple and genuine prayer meetings. So people think about this. It's like in, back in the early 1900s, a bunch of people in a lonely town just started to pray. Tons of little prayer meetings. And then God raises up this young guy, right, who's not a good preacher. And the Holy Spirit starts to fill this town with people. And tons and tons of people got saved. They were praying for their families and friends to be saved and for Jesus to come fill their churches with lost souls. And over 100,000 people came to Jesus in six months' time. Isn't that amazing? And tens of thousands, in the following years. And it all started with a prayer meeting. Here's another example of what God might speak to us when we gather in prayer meetings. This week, I attended Ho'olohe Pono's annual reenactment of the overthrow of the Hawaiian queen performed at Iolani Palace. And it was an amazing event. I learned that in 1893, during the months leading up to the annexation, The native Hawaiian members of this church, Wainei Church in Maui and many other churches throughout the region gathered in daily and weekly prayer meetings. This is a Hawaiian family at the time. They fasted and prayed and asked God to speak and God spoke and he said, be strong and courageous, fight for your nation, fight for your queen, fight against annexation Though it meant many of them would be arrested, they peacefully but powerfully stood against the overthrow of their kingdom and with their queen. Many Hawaiians are still praying for and fighting for justice even now. So sometimes God says to you, when you gather, he says, protect, fight for your culture. I care about not just you personally. I care about who you are in context of the us. And today, God is still speaking and inspiring people to preserve their cultures and fight for justice. Amen? Every time we gather together to pray, there are big ramifications. This is the point. In Antioch, Paul and Barnabas became missionaries. God said, I have a plan for the whole world. When they started to pray in Brooklyn, God said, I have a plan for this city, right? When they started to pray in Wales, God said, I have a plan for this whole nation. And when they started to pray in Waianae Church, God said, be courageous in the face of your enemies and keep your culture alive. God wants to speak to us. We just need to gather together to listen to him. And so here at Blue Water, this is one way we can do that. Now, I wasn't able to go to this prayer meeting, but yesterday we had a 24-hour prayer meeting, and it's true, we just started one here, or I don't know how long it's been going, but how long has it been going, Julie? So it's been going on quite a while. But we have a a once-a-month 24-hour prayer meeting for this church. And if you're interested, you could talk to Julie Olson. Please talk to her, and she can give you the lowdown. But God is beginning to do something new here, and it all begins with prayer. Also, we have Ohana groups, and many of us are part of these weekly groups that meet. And each week, we do actually have a prayer meeting. At the end of every Blue Water Ohana group, we have a mush pot, and we pray for each other. And God does and still speaks. If you're unclear about your role on His team, what God has for you in this season, get into an Ohana group. Ask people to pray with you. Get your friends together. Have a prayer meeting. Go to the 24-hour prayer meeting. Not for all 24 hours unless you really want to. But ask God to speak to you. Okay? Let's get, ask God to give us a team mentality once again. Let's ask Him to speak to us regarding this church, even Blue Water, this nation and the world, and what our role is in it all. So the first way God speaks to us is through prayer. And moving right into the second point, God speaks to us through prophets and teachers. The second way God speaks to us is through prophets and teachers. We read in Acts 13:1, it says this, now the church, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. And God has given churches gifted people to help the church mature and grow called prophets and teachers. So he speaks to us through prayer and then he speaks to us through prophets and teachers. They had them in Antioch and we have them in blue water, okay? Each and every church has them in one form or another. And here's the definition of a prophet. Simply a prophet is someone Who speaks for God it's not that God only speaks through prophets but this is one of the ways he speaks to us his body as a whole Um, and first let's talk about what a prophet is not we understand what teachers are so we're gonna spend a little more time on prophets a prophet is not a super Christian okay we're going to try and demystify the, these terms. A prophet is not a super Christian, right? He's not, we're not talking about the Old Testament prophet like Moses, okay, or Isaiah. This is not what we're talking about. Also, prophets are not perfect. Paul probably was referred to as one of the prophets in this church, right? Paul seemed to have a temper problem early on in his life, if you read through the, the New Testament, Seeing he used to kill Christians. You ever think about that? What kind of person is like that? His personality. He was known as one of the ringleaders who would go and round up these people. He had, you know, a personality issue. I called it a temper problem. Second, Paul couldn't stand the young disciple Mark, if you read the story, right? Mark was always wearing skinny jeans, stopping for selfies, fixing his hair, trying to get coffee. Paul wanted to move on. These prophets, these prophets are normal people like you and I, okay? And they're people with a gift or position in their local church. Okay, so I'm gonna try and break this down a little more. A modern definition might be something like this. A prophet is someone gifted to proclaim the truth of God's word in a way that connects with or edifies the church, builds up the church, okay? And I have to do a caveat here. This is a very deep subject. It's a very loaded term, the term prophet, but we have a good base here at Blue Water. Our pastor actually wrote a book. A lot of it is on this subject. If you have any questions or you want to go deeper, I just encourage anyone here, to go deeper on this subject, talk to one of the staff, talk to Pastor Antonio, talk to anyone else, um, and they can kind of help you out if you want to go deeper in this. My goal today is to clarify, keep this simple, what the term means in this verse and in the New Testament. Is that okay? Also, there aren't as many pictures in this section. I am so sorry, Joe. I am so sorry about that. Well, generally, there are two... He's getting tired of that. I'm so sorry, Joe, for picking on you. There's two types of prophets in the New Testament, okay? Generally, and this grid might be helpful to you. So number one, there are foretelling prophets, and there are forthtelling telling prophets. There are foretelling prophets, and there are forthtelling telling prophets, okay? So I'm going to go through both of these. And this is just a grid that can be used to kind of help us understand the word prophet in the New Testament. The first type of prophet in the New Testament is the foretelling prophet. So this first kind of prophet or prophecy has an element of prediction and the miraculous, right? They're not in a classic sense predicting the future like Nostradamus or like a soothsayer or something like that, but by predictive I mean, they're saying something that they couldn't have known if it were not for God. They're saying something that they couldn't have known unless God told them, okay? So someone with this gift might have a word about your life, right? And what to expect in this next season. And they might with clarity say something to you that they could not have known, right? This is a prophet. This is a foretelling prophet, And the people that first come to mind when you hear this term prophet in this church might be someone like Jason or Michelle, right? Or Larissa or John Roberts or Jordan. These are people at the end of the service who come up and they share words of prophecy. And they have the gift, and they might even be called prophets in this loose sense, right? They're foretelling prophets. We have so many testimonies that come from this type of prophecy And many of us have been a recipient of these words. Who here, just as a query, has received a word from a prophet from the stage after church on one occasion or the next? So this is a a large number of us. And was it powerful? Was it helpful? A lot of us say yes. So here's a personal example of how I've been blessed by this. Last year at the church retreat, I don't know if you guys were at the church retreat, but the last two years, we brought in this prophet named Robin, and he's an old friend of Jordan and Sonia's. And Robin, one night before the retreat, he got a whole bunch of us together. These are people like Ohana group leaders and stuff like that, and I was lucky enough to come to the meeting, and we did worship. And Robin, at the end of the, the worship time, he kind of went around one by one and started prophesying over us. And I've been a Christian for some time, And it always shocks me when people have this gift of prophecy because I'm like, it is interesting that God's given these people to the church. And anyways, he said this to me. We're going around in a circle, and he goes, he's like, oh, my gosh. You know, Ben, and everyone's listening, and I'm embarrassed because I don't like to be the center of a prophecy. And then he's like, Ben, you know what? He's like, ah, you got to get over this. You know, maybe God's called you to the ministry. Now, he didn't know that I felt like maybe God's called me to the ministry. And in the past, that's, that was my dream and my goal. And uh, now I'm doing something else. So he says, you shouldn't be selling insurance or something like that. And I said, oh my gosh, this is getting weird because I sell insurance. I'm not trying to make any sales right now. I'm just telling you, I sell insurance. And I said, this is crazy. And he goes on and on, and he says all these other things which are kind of embarrassing. And then he ends with this. He goes, ah, God might change your life in the next, I don't know, year or so. But, but here's the thing. God might call you out of where you are to somewhere else. And I said, really? And he's like, yeah, when I was a kid, or when I was younger, I, wouldn't, I would not stay in my city. And then one day God told me, you got to go cross, cross Ashland That was a street, it was like eight mile in in Detroit or something, but, but Ashland, wherever he's from, and that meant nothing to anyone else, but to me, Ashland has a special meaning because have you ever been to Ashland, Oregon, anyone? It's right by Medford above Reading. So you drive down the five from Seattle all the way to California, before you hit California, You're gonna go through this little town called Ashland and Ashland looks like uh, Lord of the Rings. But you go through there and word on the street is Neil Young has a house in Ashland and I'm a huge Neil Young fan, so I was like, I have to move here. To me, this is heaven on earth. Someday I will own a house in Ashland and I told no one, now I'm telling everyone. It used to be a secret, but he blew it. Now I'm just gonna tell you guys, this was my dream and I kept it in my heart And then he, out of nowhere at the end, he goes, yeah, and you might have to, you know, cross Ashland or something like that. And I said, Ashland? How does he know about Ashland? No one knows about that, (laughs) but God knew. And God was saying something to me that day, right? So God has given us foretelling prophets. This is the first kind of prophet God gives to us to equip the church. It's a foretelling prophet. The next kind of prophet, the second kind of prophet, could be referred to as a 4th telling prophet, okay? These people are gifted to explain or speak forth God's truth with power or clarity. And the first prophet, foretellers, they're miraculous. There's a predictive nature. Fourth-tellers are practical. There's a practical nature about them, right? And the church is filled with both, right? You have to have Jason, but you also have to have, you know, uh, Pastor Antonio. Or there's different types of people that have this gift in the church. These people are gifted to uncover God's truth with unction and with power. In other words, they might be called preachers. Or it could even be a powerful worship leader, right? There's a power to it when they lead or when they preach. Think about when Peter gave the first sermon on Pentecost, right? He was speaking with a prophetic voice. He wasn't predicting the future. He was bringing, speaking forth the truth. Or think about Paul when he preached for 12 hours in the book of Acts, and that person fell out of the window, right? Fell out of the window. And This is someone who's preaching with power. Paul, Peter, they could be called, in a loose sense, prophets because they spoke forth the word of God. And we see the term throughout the New Testament. One of the places I see it is in Ephesians 4. It says this, God has given the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, okay? Prophet here probably means not just someone who's speaking forth prophets Uh, predictive prophecy. It's probably someone who's a preacher, someone who's guiding the church down the road. Does that make sense? Sometimes in Scripture, a prophet and what we know to be a preacher are synonymous. I know that's kind of controversial, right? Because we want a prophet to be like Moses, but sometimes a prophet is like Nana, right? Yes, very normal, very funny very gifted, knows the word of God. That's someone that could be termed a New Testament prophet. And God has always used preachers, prophets since the beginning. And this is a bit of church history. And here is a picture. Right here. The earliest known, this is a picture of the earliest known Christian document outside the Bible. And this document is called the Didache. Turn to your neighbor and say, Didache. Go for it. Didache. Say it three times. No, I'm joking. This is a document known to the early church. And just like the biblical epistles, it was passed from church to church. Right? They didn't have an email system. They copied this document And they passed it from church to church. And it helped in the matters of doctrine and church leadership. So the main thrust of it was this. To educate the church on who to trust when it comes to prophets. And by prophets, they meant traveling preachers. So in that time, think about this. This is the first hundred years of the church. Just like today, the church is growing. You have little churches that might not be super... Uh, mature. So a prophet would come into town, a preacher, and they would say, this is the gospel. This is what happened to Jesus. I have this note, you know, this is something that I wrote down. This is from the church down the road. This is the, what Paul says the gospel is, etc." These people were prophets, okay, and, uh, or preachers. And the Didache was basically the document that said, this is how you know if they're from God. And it's the earliest known document that we have in the church. And many of these prophets were charismatic, you know? So you needed to like, wow, that guy would like put you under his spell but teach you weird things, right? So the DDK would kind of help steer that back. It's not the Bible, but it's just a document that shows that prophets and preachers were synonymous in that day. And right now, our, pra- our pastor Jordan is leading, is speaking at the new wine conference in England. And he could be considered a prophet in this instance, right? Even though he might not be doing predictive prophecy the whole time, he's uncovering and proclaiming and speaking forth the truth of God's word in power. So God often brings people or prophets or preachers outside of our local experiences to give us a different view. And this is what's amazing. I was thinking about this. Ever since I was a Christian, I didn't only have the voice of my senior pastor, I had conferences that I could go to, right? And that person might be an amazing speaker. Last week, we had Larissa. She, she spoke to us about her experience, right? This week, I'm sharing. You can go on the internet, you can check out all these different preachers. God has always been doing that though. Since the beginning, there were preachers that would go from town to town, right? And people would come and listen to them. This is what we call a, a forthtelling prophet. One more instance of this that's noteworthy that I wanted to share was this. I remember about 15 years ago, we have something called the Hymn Conference. Every year, we have the, one of the best conferences in the nation, and it happens at the convention center. Who has attended the Hymn Conference? Yes, many of us, and, and at the Hymn Conference, it's a three-day event. They fly in the greatest speakers, the, the coolest speakers in the world, the most powerful and prolific people that are out there right now. And I would always look forward to this for some reason. I loved it. And one year, I went to this conference, and the preacher I was hoping to hear was a, a lady named Beth Moore. Beth Moore. Have you guys heard of Beth Moore? Beth Moore. A few years ago, she was the hottest preacher in town. And she, not hot, not the hottest preacher. She was a powerful preacher. And she was writing books, and everyone was talking about her. Um, So she was like the uh, Christian Renee Brown. What's her name? Was it? Brené, Brené Brown. As big as Brené Brown is now, that's how big Beth Moore was back in the day. So I went to this conference and I remember the second I walked in to the, to the main keynote session, I just started crying. And the reason was because she was so passionately anointed by God, I remember what she said. She said, you know, I was going through a hard time in my life and I needed God so bad that when I went to sleep, I know this isn't biblical or whatever, but when I went to sleep, I would open the Bible and I'd lay it on my chest and I'd sleep that way. And I just say, I just need the word of God to get into my heart. Isn't that powerful? It's still powerful today. And to this day, I still remember that. She is what we would call a prophet in in a loose sense. God's given her to us to speak forth the truth. So we can find a lot of inspiration from these prophets, these traveling preachers. And in summary, God uses two types of prophets to edify His church, foretelling prophets and forth-telling prophets, okay? And we're going to move on to the second point, which will be a lot shorter. God uses... Let's get the slide going. God uses... Teachers, teacher, sorry, a teacher is someone gifted by God to teach the Word of God. Um, a teacher doesn't need much explanation, but I want to make a couple of points. First, each and every week in every church around the world, teachers are faithfully teaching the truth of God's Word. Teachers are so important to the body of Christ. Because the truths of the gospel get passed down from generation to generation and are proclaimed in the pulpits of all the churches in the world. And most of the churches don't have these great prophets on the stage every week. They have teachers. Sometimes they have them both. But most of the world has teachers. Okay, and people grow from babies into pillars in the church because of the faithful ministry of teachers right? They do the long, tedious work of bringing us to maturity, okay? I think of the scripture that says this. It says, elders who teach the word are worthy of double honor. It actually says that in the Bible. Elders who teach the word are worthy of double honor. And I thought, why? Why are they worthy of double honor? And then I tried to, you know, write out this sermon this week and it took me forever, you know. And I thought, it's because teaching is a thankless job. And even if they thank you, you have to do it the next week. So after about 20 years, it doesn't matter. But they deserve the honor. And the churches of the world are not supposed to be entertainment centers, but places that we learn, grow and give. So God has given us, sometimes not flashy people, but faithful people, and we call them teachers. So let's continue to come as learners and people in awe of the Word of God. As people who receive the teaching, let's come with notepads open in hopes of learning something new because sermons aren't always exciting, right? I've been a part of churches with great teaching and we are really lucky because we have one of the best teachers in Hawaii. And Jordan is one of the teachers that teaches at the conference, the hymn conference. But you guys know, most of you are here in big part because you heard that Jordan, uh, there's a great teacher down the road and you've come to listen to him. So we're really blessed, but it's not so in every church, okay? And I've been a part of both types of churches and some of you have as well okay? At my first church, I got to experience an example of a great teacher, but he had great content, but he had very slow delivery, very slow delivery, okay? And then I was a part of another church, sorry, that same church. There was another preacher who preached with his eyes closed. For five years, I listened to every sermon. The guy wouldn't open his eyes, But but his content was so good, It was fascinating. It was fascinating. Um, The story of my pastor, Jim, I just want to give this to you real quick. The first church I ever got saved at, the guy's name was Pastor Jim, and Pastor Jim spoke very slowly, but he was a genius. He would write out his sermons and they were extremely intellectual, like Larissa Marks last week. And he'd memorize them word for word and then he'd deliver them a delivery in the morning, and then he'd have a night service, and then he'd deliver it again word for word, no notes at the night service. I am not lying. First time I walked into church, this guy, first sermon I've ever heard in my life. I've never been to church before. This guy says something like this, and I still remember, this is why he's a gifted teacher. I still remember what he spoke on. He said this, this is the sermon. How can two people, sitting right next to each other in the same church, hear the same message on the same day from the same guy and get two opposite responses. One person says, you know what? It's so slow. I mean, this guy is so slow. I mean, I can't take it anymore, right? And I've been that guy. And then the other guy is this. You know what? That's the greatest thing I've ever heard. I need to change my life around. God loves me. And at the end of the service, I'm going up for the altar call or something like that, right? And he said, it's, the point is, it's, it's not the message, it's our hearts. So that's what a good teacher can do. They don't have to be flashy. They just have to be faithful. And sometimes the onus is on us, on us, on our hearts to listen and to take it in. Let's be mature about it, is the, the whole point. So let's try and be soft people, people. Let's try and be learners. And in recap, I just wanted to say this about this point. It's not the, uh, God uses prophets and teachers to speak to us. And here's an application point for us. If you or your family is slowly losing steam, God wants to free you this morning and say, it's okay to lose steam. God's given you prophets. Go to the prayer line at the end of the service and ask one of the prayer prophets or the people with the gift of prophecy to prophesy over you. If you are losing steam and you need a fresh wind or fresh fire, go to a conference. Go to the hymn conference next year. Let God speak to you, because God's given us prophets, right? Or sign up for the Blue Water Retreat that's coming up in the fall, and God will speak to you if we're coming there to listen. And if you're new to the Christian faith, audit classes at the local seminary, right? Come to church, come with your laptop open, do whatever you have to do, but eat up everything you have that's here for us every week through people like Jordan. And in essence, the point is, let's take advantage of all God has given to us. God still speaks to us through various prophets, and He's been doing so since the beginning of the church And he still instructs us through teachers because he wants us to be mature and whole and ready to engage in the responsibilities he's given to us. So God speaks to us through prayer, through pastors and teachers. And the last way God speaks to us is through the person of Jesus. And I just wanted to ask Shira to come up. She can begin to kind of set an atmosphere. And... I just wanted to land the plane today talking about Jesus, you know? God still speaks to us through His Son. Jesus is the foundation of every teaching and every sermon and every prophecy, and He's the whole reason why we're doing all of this, right? But why does God need to speak through Jesus? Think about that. Why does God need to speak through Jesus? And it's because this. He's answering a question. And the question is this. The question every human has is and has always been, What is God like? Who is God? So God had to speak and answer that question. And the answer he gave was Jesus. So if you want to know what I'm like or if you want to know who I am, look at my son. It's very simple. God answered our question. God is like Jesus. In fact, Jesus was God. Come down to us. That's why we read in the book of Hebrews chapter 1, it says this, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and at many times and in various ways. But in the last days, these last days, He's spoken to us through His Son. He wanted it to be crystal, crystal, clear this is who i am so we're going to be looking at three slides three slides of three sculptures that show Jesus the answer to the question what is god is li- what god is what is god like and who is god and these three slides and pictures of sculptures are taken from stories given by Jesus or about him through the New Testament. Okay, so we're just gonna spend some time in adoration, in contemplation, looking at sculptures that speak about who Jesus is. Now, you can see just barely, just barely at the top, you have to squint, but this is a picture of a sculpture by artist and sculptor Charles McKeezy and it's entitled Prodigal at the Gate and you can see what, God is do- what the guy is doing it's a picture of the prodigal son and the father and what is God saying to us through this picture see the son he's slumped over and the dad is holding him in the last days God has spoken to us through his son this is a picture of the father welcoming home the son after he messed up his life burned all his bridges and became homeless this is what the son said the kingdom of God is like it's like this it's like a father forgiving and holding up his son the prodigal at the gate Next, homeless Jesus, artist and sculptor Timothy Schmaltz. What is God saying to us? See, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. And many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son. Jesus said of himself, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. And if God chose to live in humility with the very least of us, rather than rule from his ivory tower, and if that's who God is, Then I want to love God. And our last sculpture Jesus on the Cross, artist David Bach. And what is God saying to us? Jesus on the Cross. See, in the last days, God has spoken to us through His Son. If the love of God was this passionate and fierce, if God, the God of the universe, would come down and do that, if this is what God's like, if this is who God is, then I love God. The Bible says in these last days, God has spoken to us through His Son. The question is, what is God like? God says, this is what God is like. This is what I'm like. This is what I'm like. This is what I'm like. And if God's like that, then I'll love God. If only God could be like that, then we would love God. Well God is like that. So that's always been my question. Maybe that's always been your question too. Well, what is God like? Is God mad at me if I messed up my life? Think of the prodigal son. He's not mad at you. God loves you. Come home today. And the second, what if, you know, I think God God doesn't want to hang out with people like me. For goodness sake, Juan was into Sublime. God wouldn't mess with someone into sublime. Well, you know what? God was homeless. God's li- God likes Juan. God loves Juan. And people who have done much worse. That's who God is. And the last thing is man, if I was guilty of a crime and they were going to send me to prison or to the I don't know how they do that now. But God would step in and say, no, 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 no. Instead of you, Ben, I know you're just a lowly insurance dude in Hawaii. Instead of you, I'm going to take your place. I'm going to step in for you. I'll take it. I'll take one for the whole team. If God is like that, then we will love God. So this morning, it's good news. He's not on the cross anymore. And he did that because he loves you. He rose from the dead because he is God. And in a minute, we're going to do something that we don't often do. In a minute, I want to give those of us who want to become Christians because they now get a glimpse of who God is and what he's done for them a chance to do so. If you've never given your life to Jesus, this is your morning to do so. Because you thought God was different, but now you know He loves you and died for you and is with you. He's with the sinner. He's with the lost. He's with the prodigals. I want to give you a chance to become a Christian today. So in a second, you can stand right where you are. This is what we call an altar call. In a second, you can stand right where you are and by doing so, you're declaring, I believe God died for me and because of that, I'm now forgiven. And, and you can begin a new life starting today. So if there's anyone here that wants to become a Christian today because you know God loves you and died for you, you can stand now. That's okay, I'm not nervous when Nana's standing. Is there anyone else that wants to become a Christian today? Maybe you've walked away from the Lord. Maybe you're on the fence. Maybe you're living a double life. Maybe you're ready to be forgiven and be set free this morning. You can stand today and we'll pray for you and God can see it. And this could be a line or a marking in your life, the day that you gave your life back to the Lord. If there's anyone that that wants to give their life back to the Lord, Why don't don't you stand now? I'm just going to wait 15 more minutes. Just joking. Wait a couple more minutes. (laughs) Is there anyone here that wants to just receive God's grace today, start anew, and give your life back to the Lord? Rededicate your life. Now's the time to stand. We have a couple over here, and we have Nana and Ellen over here. All right. And if you want, you could make this the prayer of your heart from your seat, but we're going to pray together. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for dying for us. Thank you, God, that you've, you've shown us that you are with us. You're not against us. You are for us. Thank you, Lord, that even at the end of our lives... You're still moving and speaking. Thank you, Lord, that for many of us, we found you at the beginning of our lives, so we have our whole lives to give back to you. And for those of us that have fallen or that need to just be rededicating our lives to you this morning, we do so now. We take this time to say, I stood, Lord, here I am. Fill me, give me a new start. Uh, We pray, God, for this church. We pray that you would continue to help us to be learners. And if there's any of us in this place that are prophets or teachers, I pray that you would help us to stand or or to step into those callings, God. Help us to be diligent studiers of your word and give our lives to what you've called us for. Lord, uh, you have a big mission for not just each one of us individually, but also for us as a church, as Blue Water Mission. We pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and help us to accomplish it. In Jesus' name, all God's people said.